listening to City Church Long Beach Sermons Podcast. You can visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. Hey, good morning, friends. It is so good to be here with you. And I hope you do know this morning that you are loved as you are here at City Church of Long Beach, uh, where we are a radically welcoming community on the journey towards Jesus, joining him in the renewal of all things. A big welcome to all of you here in person and, of course, all of our friends on Zoom. We are so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, a few housekeeping things we always do for our friends who are here in person, particularly if you're on the newer side, uh, because we are at an elementary school, where are the bathrooms is a big question. Uh, behind us, there's a, a door and you can go up the stairs to the left and there's a little bathroom tucked away right there. Or over here in this corner where you see that kind of orange pole, there are two bathrooms. The one big request that we do make of you if you use those two bathrooms is when you walk up, you're gonna notice there's a deadbolt holding it open. And when you leave, if you could make sure that deadbolt is in place as well so the bathroom doesn't automatically lock behind you. It sounds confusing, but you'll get it when you see it, okay? Um, yeah, we're just so glad to be here. And every Sunday, we like to uh, think a little bit about our kids, right? Because kids could be hard uh, to, it could be easy to overlook, I should say. Um, maybe you don't think so if you're a parent. They, they have their ways of making themselves, you know, very, very visible to you. Uh, but we just, we love kids around City Church. You know, whether they're ours or our friends, our neighbors, uh, we want to value our kids. And so this morning, what we did is uh, we asked them some questions. Because as many of you know, the school year has started. Some of you are teachers yourselves. You're definitely aware that the school year has started. And we wanted to hear how it was going for our kids. Kids who are with us on Zoom, you can put your answers in the chat. Uh, but for our kids here in person, we had this question up on the whiteboard. What is going great and what's hard? Okay, the best thing by far, according to all our kids, is seeing their friends again. Um, some of them are also really celebrating just that they like to learn and that they like having a chance to help, like getting to do things like holding doors open. Uh, and then there's what's hard. There definitely is some hard stuff, like they have to wake up in the morning. A lot of us adults are saying amen. Uh, they have homework to do again, and that is hard. It's hard to be good. Amen. Um, and there are lots of procedures to follow. Some of them probably knew, and even more than they had a couple of years ago. So would you guys keep all this in mind as you're praying for our kids this week? You know, that there is, there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of awesome stuff, and there's also some hard stuff, some ways that our kids are really processing a lot and getting used to a lot again. To help us with that, our friend Wendy is going to come up and pray for our kids this morning before we give them a chance for any kids who want to. And you're welcome to stay with your parents, but then if you want, after um, Ms. Wendy prays, if you want to go with her for a story time over in this corner, you're going to be welcome to do that as well. Let's see. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for our kids. We thank you for their joy, their love for life. Pray that you would reveal yourself to them as their loving parents and that they would learn to turn to you when times are tough and when times are good. We pray for those kids here at Lafayette Elementary um, and for all children who have returned to school. Keep them safe, Lord. Keep them healthy and give them a chance to renew those friendships that they have lost to um, have those social connections that are so important. 
in a healthy and safe manner. We thank you for your gift to us that you've given us these kids. We pray that we can be a blessing to them. We ask this in your son's name. Thanks so much. Hey kids, if you want to follow Wendy over for story time and just a chance to hang out, you are welcome to do that with Wendy this morning. Well, we are in between two different series. We have wrapped up a series called What is Church, uh, which was awesome. It was all about exploring the questions and not really necessarily leaning on answers, but saying, hey, we know there are some not so good ways to church. What are some of the better ones? What are some of the more important ways that we want to try and do church together? Uh, next week, we'll be leaning in on a series called Ancient Wisdom, Happiness Science. Uh, which I think is going to be really fun as we're going to be looking at man, what are some of the practices that actually lead us into flourishing as human beings. And it's so interesting to see where this sort of newer field of happiness science actually just tells us some of the things that ancient wisdom, like in the Bible, has been telling us all along. But this morning, we're sort of jumping back to a series that we were in last spring that I think for many of us was just incredibly powerful. It was called the sermon I always wanted the church to hear. And it was a way of recognizing that so often, especially if you've grown up in the church, that the range of voices that you've heard from has been pretty small. But there have been a lot of similarities uh, in appearance and a life experience of people who have been put in a position like this to be up in front of a church and, and raising the conversation, uh, leading us through questions. Uh, that so often it has been white men, heterosexual men, uh, men of a certain education and economic status. And, and we really just want to say, man, in, in so many ways, we want to increase just diversity, the diversity of perspectives that we're hearing from uh, in our community. Um, but what if we do it in a way where it's not even just like, yes, come take the microphone, but we say, talk about whatever you want. We're not going to give you the scripture. We're not going to give you the topic. You tell us what the church needs to hear. Make us as uncomfortable as you want. It'll be good for us. And for some of us, it'll be incredibly healing and incredibly redemptive. So this morning, we're so excited that we get to hear uh, from another person amongst us uh, who, uh, despite considerable leadership and teaching gifts, uh, has not often been past the microphone. Uh, and so we're just, we're so grateful that we're going to be able to sit and learn from our friend, Abby Nishimoto, this morning. Uh, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be real. Um, I maybe purposely put a tissue in my pocket this morning, uh, knowing, knowing some of what she's going to share. Uh, and it's just, I, I just want to invite you to hear, to receive, to sit with Abby the way you would maybe at a coffee shop. Uh, just being able to listen, lean in. Um, we get to love each other well this morning. As we get started, uh, Abby's husband, Andrew Nishimoto, has agreed to read scripture for us this morning. And so if you would welcome him up with me. Stand for the reading of God's word. If you're at home, feel free to keep seated because you know it might be awkward for us. Uh, here we go. All right, Lamentations 3, 19 through 25. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. 
I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search him. People of God, this is the word of God. Would you guys welcome Abby? I'm gonna. Just a second. I'm real short. <laughs> Someone asked me this morning if I was gonna melt all your faces off. I'm not. I might melt my own face <laughs> off with tears. So if that happens, just uh, bear with me. But, um, you know, when Bill and Brenna asked me to take part in the series of this sermon that I always wanted the church to hear, I thought back to the spring and this incredible lineup of women that talked about things like gender dynamics in the church and Jesus's heart for justice. And, and when they were preaching, I just was like internally fist pumping the whole time. Um, but they kind of stole all my material that I was going to say. And so I wasn't quite sure like what, what that topic would be. And then I had kept having this nagging feeling, and we'll call it God, right? Um, that it was time for me to get a little bit more personal and use this sermon time to share a bit more of my story from a really dark time that I went through a few years ago. So this sermon will probably feel a little bit more like story time. Uh, there's not going to be like a nice alliterated sermon outline for you to follow. I'm really disappointed about that. But um, my prayer is that God's Spirit uses my story to meet you in whatever places you need it. Um, so instead of this sermon that I always thought the church needed to hear, really this is the sermon that I needed to hear um, about three years ago. Although, honestly, even if I had heard it then, I'm not sure that I would have listened. But my hope is that by sharing my story, it might save some of you some of the heartache that I endured because of my own stubbornness. So let's jump into story time. Uh, my background, as many of you know, is that I basically grew up within the evangelical church. I'm a pastor's kid, and I genuinely did love my upbringing in both my family and in my home church. I really didn't have the stereotypical pastor's kid rebellious phase, and I generally, genuinely uh, made my faith my own when I was about 11 or 12 years old. I have really strong convictions as a kid and also a very real desire to show God's love in how I lived my life. I also had a very deep need for approval and affirmation from others. And so those things sort of combined into this toxic cocktail of extreme good Christian kid ethic that sort of ruled my life. In fact, my daughter Emma is only 10 and she's already picked up on this because the other day she was like, Mom, I think you were like really a good two shoes when you were a kid. <laughs> and I was like, well, Yeah, I was. It's true. Um, I was very strongly motivated to be perfect in every aspect of my life. And the drive to be perfect, I want to say kind of came from a good place. Um, it felt like good Christian reasoning that if my life was 
other people would want my life and then they would want Jesus, right? And that sounds so backwards now, but really it was, it was how I thought. Like I remember thinking through, you know, I need my friends at school to want my life because then they'll want Jesus. Um, so it was a struggle. And my point is that I just lived on this tightrope of needing to meet everyone's expectations as well as my, my own unrealistically high expectations. I needed to have perfect grades, perfect exercise routine, perfect relationship, perfect everything. Um, and things got slightly better and more authentic towards the end of my college years as I deconstructed my faith and started to develop more of a heart for justice and for the marginalized. I began to realize that showing God's love to others was less about trying to lure them in with a perfect life and more about showing love for them exactly in the place that they found themselves. Um, but despite those efforts, I still did have this relentless desire to prove myself and to earn people's love through perfection and through control. So let's fast forward to the next 10 years. Uh, my husband, Andrew, and I got married. Uh, we settled into life in California, raising our kids, working in various church and nonprofit jobs. Then I made the switch to corporate life and I began finding some success there. So as a lover of to-do lists, any other fellow to-do list people out there? <laughs> I, I was happily sort of checking things off, the master life to-do list, right? Happy marriage, check, two kids, check, buy a house, check, be involved in church, move up the corporate ladder, check, check, check. check. Um, and then in 2018, my neat and tidy life began to crumble all around me. First in August of 2018, I was unexpectedly laid off from my job. And this was a huge, punch in the gut to me because so much of my identity and work came from doing well at work and being approved of by my bosses and things like that. So that layoff left me feeling really unmoored and kind of like I didn't know who I was and what God wanted from me. And then a few months later, the bottom completely dropped out when I realized that the marriage that I thought was happy and stable was not. I thought that our marriage was good because it was working for me, um, but really I was being controlling of so much of our lives that Andrew was really withering away in our marriage. And I should say that all of this is shared with his permission. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, of course in the moment, I did not recognize any of those control issues. No, at that point it was all Andrew's fault. Um, he wasn't being honest with me. He was hiding the truth. He had betrayed me. Um, all I knew is that the partnership that I thought was solid no longer was. And so I needed to fix it. So at that point, it would have been great if I would have acknowledged the deep place of hurt that I was in, if I would have invited my loved ones into that place, um, if I would have done the hard work of self-examination um, with God to figure out what, what was happening. Um, but I didn't do any of those things. Instead, I relied on what had always worked in the past, which was like, fix, 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 right? Um, fix anything that's not perfect. So I did not let many people at all into what was going on. I tried to maintain the facade of perfection. And Andrew and I tried to work on our marriage with a lot of just like forced effort. I will give him credit that he started going to therapy. Um, but I, of course, identified that he was the problem. So it was good that he was going, but I did not need that. Um, so instead, we did things like go through a book that was like called 30 Days to a Great Marriage. 
I'm just going to save you all the twelve dollars. <laughs> that you know, buy twelve dollars of like high quality ice cream, and you're going to be better off. <laughs> so I was trying really, really hard in my own strength to get out of this dark place, get my life back to this recognizable state before anybody around me could catch on. And then things continued to spiral downward. Our marital problems were exacerbated by mental health diagnoses and a fake crisis that was uh, prompted by some church trauma. We had some really difficult and painful interactions with family members that left us feeling bruised, alone. Um, and as I continued to resist recognizing my part in the problems, Andrew drifted farther and farther and farther from me. At our lowest point, um, Andrew acknowledged to me that he wasn't sure that he loved me anymore, and we began working down the road to divorce. And it was just a dark, dark time. This was around Easter of 2019. And I remember reading the Good Friday story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I had never felt such solidarity with Jesus at that time. I thought of how he must have felt to have the people that he loved most in the world and that who were supposed to be there for him, they fell asleep. And that's how I felt. I felt that every person who was supposed to love me had abandoned me. One particular low point that's burned in my memory is an evening after work when I realized I needed to cook dinner. I was so broken and defeated that I just was crying my eyes out on the way to Little Caesars to pick up some pizza. And an adult choosing Little Caesars as dinner is already like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now you know, just imagine like an adult sort of like shuffling into Little Caesars, like tears streaked, like picking up the hot and ready and like shuffling out. And that was a pretty good picture of where life was at for me. Um, so it's important to mention here because I have several amazing friends and family members who are here and who are listening in. It's important that I say that I was not actually abandoned. There were amazing people in my life who would have been the support that I needed during that time had I chosen to let them in. But I wasn't ready to do that. And so instead I suffered alone. So finally, on the brink of losing everything that was most precious to me, I agreed that we should go to therapy together. It was sort of a last ditch effort to save a marriage that we weren't even really sure that we wanted to save. And so our, at our first joint session, which was filled with loud volume and fireworks and drama and intensity, our very wise therapist looked at me and said, you know, Abby, I think maybe you're not quite ready to meet together with Andrew yet. <laughs> Why don't you and I meet alone first? Um, shocking, I know, but it turns out I actually was part of our marriage problems. It was news to me, but I was. It was very convenient when my husband was the one that was the problem because he was the one that needed fixing. I was good at fixing. It became a lot more precarious when I had to look in the mirror and realize that it, it took two people to break our marriage. So over the course of the next several months, Pam, my therapist, she walked me through some really deep work in my own identity. She's a Christian therapist and I had given her permission to speak into my spiritual life as well. And as you can imagine, it turns out that that was really where my healing needed to start. Um, I expected that Pam would help me learn to fix us so that I could go back to feeling okay. And okay meant in control. Um, 
But instead, she tore down my conceptions of what a life with Jesus is all about. I started to recognize that I needed to surrender my conceptions of an, a, a good life, an okay life. Life going according to my plan is not an indication that God is happy with my choices. Actually, it's more likely it's evidence that my plans are more important to me than what it is that he was making my choice. So I learned that the things that I wanted so desperately, that happy marriage, that restored family, they were not owed to me or promised to me. Instead, God was asking for my heart outside of that, regardless of what the outcome would be. Um, if my other desires came along or not, um, God was asking for my heart. So probably more than 100 times throughout the course of our um, therapy together, Pam would ask me the question, isn't God enough? So we would talk through my fears, you know, my deepest fears, my terror, that my marriage would end in divorce, that my community would abandon me. Um, she would gently point out that perhaps that indicated that my marriage or my family or my lifestyle were actually where I was finding my sense of wholeness rather than Jesus. So I began very slowly, um, but deeply to recognize that Jesus actually was enough for me. There were days that I felt utterly abandoned and alone. And I would go on these long runs and just like cry. I call them cry runs. And um, and I I would just be honest then in that hurt. And then I could ask my myself the question, Jesus, are you enough for me in this moment? Like, are you gonna get me through this? And and recognizing that Andrew loving me again was not something that I could control. So I had to release that to God and then and just seek him and recognize that he was actually enough for me, regardless of the outcome in my marriage and family. So healing really began for me when I held everything in my life with an open hand. As Christians, we don't have a guarantee of a pain-free life, but Jesus actually is enough. For me, it took me stripped of every single thing that was most precious to me to realize that that was actually true. And now I'm more able to, I'm more easily able to surrender control over my circumstances over Everything's going to be okay ultimately because at the end of the day, I'm known and loved by God and He's actually enough. So that sort of brings us to the passage that I chose for today that Andrew read, which is out of the book of Lamentations. So lamentation is an old-fashioned word that basically means like poem of sorrow. So when people lament, they're expressing their deep grief over something. And I just find it really beautiful that the Bible contains an entire book that's just dedicated to lament because it's so validating that grief is part of our human experience. So in the case of the poet who wrote Lamentations, most people think it was the prophet Jeremiah. He was lamenting over the exile of the Israelites. And this is an interesting topic to me because at the beginning of this year, I, I decided I would do one of those like read through the Bible in a year kind of plans. I hadn't done that in several years. And I thought it would be good to like kind of remember the, the whole narrative arc of the Bible. And so what I've been reminded of is like so much of the Old Testament is basically the story of God's chosen people, the Israelites, trying to take possession of the land and the inheritance that God promised him. And then they do, right? So they're like, get the land. And, 
they have a king and things are seem like they're all good and their troubles are over. And there's like this brief window of time when everything's good. And then um, it, it doesn't work out that way. They pursue other gods instead of Yahweh. And eventually God allows them to be overtaken by their enemies and forced into exile. And so then this book, Lamentations, that's where it comes in. And for the most part, it's a poem expressing sorrow over the plight of God's people in exile. And the verses um, that were read earlier are really powerful to me. I'm sure you can understand why uh, hearing my story, but I just want to read them again now. <laughs> Lamentations 3, 19 through 25 says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who search for him. I'm sure it's probably a little bit obvious why those verses jumped out at me as I was preparing for this sermon. I see so much of my own story reflected in those words. I too will never forget that awful time when I felt homeless and lost and unmoored, but I too found hope um, when I recall God's faithful love during those lowest moments. And there's some additional context for this passage. I will note that the exile or the, the Israelites were in exile as a result of their sin, um, but today I don't really want to focus too much on like the causes for the pain that each of us find ourselves in. Pain and suffering can come because of a lot of different things. They can come from sin. They can come because the world is just a broken place. Honestly, sometimes there's there seems to be no reason for it. But I'm going to let Bill and Brenna do that heavy theological work of unpacking the problem of pain. And we're just going to go today with the premise that all of us have pain. I think that's probably a safe place to start. And so with that premise in mind, that all of us have pain, have gone through pain, will go through pain, there's really just a few things that, I'll, that I would hope that you would be able to take away from our story. The first is that you are deeply known and deeply loved by God. Here at City Church, um, I hope you hear that every week. You can't say that enough. You're loved exactly as you are and exactly who you are. Um, and you're loved in your pain and you're known in your pain. The Bible says that Jesus is a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. I felt that solidarity with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane because, like me, he was in pain and he was alone. So you are known in your pain and you're deeply loved. I hope you take that away. And the second thing is that God doesn't require you to fix your pain or to be perfect in any way. Actually, your brokenness is preferred. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, which says God's grace is enough for us and that his power works best in our weakness. And I saw this in my story. When I was at my lowest and was most dependent on God, like literally just to get through like minute by minute of a work day, that's when I was best able to surrender my pride and relief for control and all these things that I had been working on my whole life. Um, the pain is really the mechanism that God uses to bring about my healing, um, both in my heart and eventually in our and then the last thing that I would hope you would hear is that knowing 
that Jesus is enough for us. It allows us to be able to release our grip a little bit on some of the idols that we have in our lives. And this is the part of the sermon that I needed three years ago that I probably wouldn't have really listened to because with, you know, with my mouth, I would have said that God is enough, right? That Jesus is all we need. Um, but it wasn't actually true. Um, I needed my life to go the way that I wanted it to go in order to be okay. And so I didn't realize that a good marriage, a healthy family, a good job, um, they were not evidence of a life following Jesus. They actually were idols that were keeping me from finding my fullness in Christ. So it's possible that there might be something in your life, even something that's a really good thing that you might be dependent on for your sense of fullness. So my encouragement is just to take some time and consider what it might look like or feel like to release some of your grip on that. Maybe there's something that's become so central to your identity, like my marriage was to me, that if it was taken away, you would feel like you had nothing left. It's also possible that all of this seems crazy to you and you're not actually sure that God is really enough. And that's okay too. This is a journey that we're all on in different places. And that's why I really love the end of that passage um, from Lamentations, because it encourages us to keep searching for the Lord. That joy comes just in being on the search and on the journey. I'm in that search daily. Sometimes the truth and the beauty of God's love and carefully are so evident, and other days I still feel really alone. And it's true, though, that there are new mercies every day if we have the eyes and the desire to believe So I'm thankful every day for the way that God restored my marriage, but I also recognize that even if that had not been the way my story had ended, that these verses would still be true. God's faithful love would still be the message that I would preach, even if and when my circumstances don't work out. So now you all know a little bit more about me, about our marriage, about the sermon that um, I didn't realize I needed to hear a few years back. I hope there's something in there for you to reflect on or take away. And also, if any of you are going through a dark and lonely time, know that me and so many others here at City Church, we want to walk through you with that, through that pain with you. Um, and so we're here.